Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us for our special Easter at the Cross service. If you're visiting, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad to have you here at the Cross. And I pray that your hearts would be open as we dive into uh, celebrating. Even though it's called Easter by many, we celebrate resurrection. Easter is more of a, a term, Ishtar, uh, goddess of fertility. And so for the evangelical, uh, we pause to say, hey, man, we're celebrating Resurrections uh, Weekend here, right? And so I, I do pray that your hearts would be open and you would allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you tonight. I'm really excited about this uh, word that I'll be sharing with you. Let me say this. Back in the early 80s, I attended Troy State University. And uh, I date myself because they have dropped the state part of it over the years, and now it's just considered Troy University. But back in the early 80s when I uh, attended Troy, I majored in criminal law. Very fascinating. Uh, I, I was intrigued with the criminal justice system big time uh, in my late teens. And uh, as I turned 20, I, I remember sitting in a lot of different classes. And I'm like, man, I, I love this stuff. And I still watch shows like Forensics. I'll watch shows like the first 48, and I've even caught a few episodes of uh, what you're going to do when they come for you, bad boy, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, right? But as a result of being intrigued with the whole criminal justice system, uh, I started paying attention to criminal trials, and I really got locked in with uh, some of the more intriguing trials over the years. I'll never forget, way back, uh, when I was in school, we started paying attention to the trial of uh, Charles Manson. Remember him? He was a twisted cult leader. He brainwashed many. He recruited a following. And uh, he ended up corrupting many, uh, torturing, and even murdering quite a few people. Timothy McVeigh. That's another name in history books, if you will, not for even good reasons. Back in 1995, McVeigh bombed those buildings there in Oklahoma City. It was horrific. And if you go back and look at what he did, he was inspired uh, because he said he was frustrated with the way the feds had treated David Koresh. He blows up those buildings. There's 168 people that died. Many of those were kids in the daycares. Uh, there on that campus. Another 650 people were injured. He was sentenced to death, and he died a few years ago. Probably in America over the last 25 years, the one trial that probably gets most attention is the one of O.J. Simpson. O.J. was on trial for the murders of his estranged wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, as well as Ronald Goldman. It's interesting, I paid a lot of attention to that trial, and he had assembled this rock star lineup of defense attorneys, Robert Shapiro, the name Kardashian, that's where that thing first appears, back with Robert Kardashian, and Johnny Cochran. Johnny Cochran was an interesting uh, player in that trial. If you remember, he's the one with the famous statement that took the bloody glove and he made this statement, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. I watched that trial. It was a chaotic trial. It was a circus of 
events, and it drew so much attention, and millions of dollars was spent on that. Now, the most famous trial in human history took place some 2,000 years ago in Israel. The most famous trial you will ever read about, contemplate, or even consider was the trial of Jesus, which ultimately led to his execution and his crucifixion. If you go back and study that, there was a guy that was the governor of Judea at that time by the name of Pontius Pilate. He served, if you will, and his rule was between AD 26 and AD 36 during that time that Christ was crucified. Pontius Pilate was a man of high position, but yet very low integrity. If you study the life of Pontius Pilate, even in that day, he was a very corrupt man. He was a very deceitful man. And he brought about incredible corruption and harshness of the people during his time. It was a very uh, brutal mess that he was a part of. Now, there's some interesting facts if you are into this, and even we will get to the text in John here in a bit, but there were many violations of Jewish law that took place that night. There were many violations of Jewish, Jewish law that surrounded, if you will, the trial of Jesus. One, think about this. There was never to be any type of trial take place during the time of a feast. Israel celebrates seven feasts. This was the feast of Passover. It was a violation. Number two, an interesting thing was no trial was never to be held at night, but yet this one was. Every person that was a member of the court of that day was to vote individually whether to acquit or convict. That didn't happen. The mob voice was the only one that was entertained. And then the last thing I would say to you is that the person on stand was to be given uh, just representation. Jesus was offered none. And so when you go back and study the trial of Jesus, it was a mockery of the justice system. John chapter 18, I want to read the text to you. Pilate called for Jesus to be brought to him. And he asked this question in John 18, 33. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your question or did others tell you about me? Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate asked, so what is truth? Pilate again went out to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like for me to release this king of the Jews? But the crowd shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Interesting. Jesus was the most innocent, most righteous person who has ever lived on this planet. Think about it. 
the most innocent, righteous person ever to walk this planet was Jesus. Now, the player I'll hit first in this passion of the Christ narrative, if you will, is Pilate. And Pilate was your typical politician. He was caught between a rock and a hard place. And Pilate ends up caving. He was a caveman. He caved in to the voices and the mob and the pressure of that day. But Pilate said three times, hey, I find no fault with him. He is innocent. But Pilate was a coward. And so instead of owning his own decision or living with any type of conviction, he looks at the crowd and says, do you want this local rebel or do you want this righteous servant? I want you to think about that. Who do you want? The religious leaders of that day wanted to get rid of Jesus. The religious leaders of that day were about power and about control. And Jesus is starting to gain a following. People are fascinated with Jesus. People are hanging out with Jesus. And they looked at him and said, we've got to get rid of him. When you look at the three main groups of that day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, I mean, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were religious people, but Jesus was a threat to what they had going on, and they wanted to get rid of the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And can I tell you something? We're living in a culture today, and we're living in a time where people want to eliminate truth. They want to eliminate all moral absolutes, any type of objective truth, and people are still trying to get rid of the truth. The crowd yells, we want Barabbas set free. Now, Barabbas is a very interesting player in this narrative. For most of us, uh, for most of us we've never really pondered much about who he is. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. And it would do you maybe well to go back and study a little bit of this guy's life. Barabbas was a rebel. Barabbas was a bandit. The crazy thing is, scholars will tell you that he was a patriot for Israel. He was viewed by many as a local hero. But yet, all four gospel writers talk about Barabbas. Come on, I'm going somewhere with this. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Notorious means everybody knows who this dude is. Mark says he was in prison as uh, one of the guys that were a part of the uprising. He was an insurrectionist. He was all about creating tension and fighting in wars, if you will. Luke said he was in prison for murder. John said he took part in the rebellion. And Peter in Acts chapter 3, when he preaches, he calls him a murderer. So when you look at him, we would all conclude that based on what we know about Barabbas, prison is where he belonged. He was a madman. He was a cold-blooded killer. He deserved to be where he was, and he deserved to get what was coming his way. But the crowd says, we want him loosed. Then you have Jesus, the most righteous, innocent person ever to walk the planet. He was the most influential person ever to live. And Jesus represented a kingdom that was not of this world. Jesus represented a kingdom not of this world. Even in his dialogue with Pilate, he said, if my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight for me 
I came to testify to the truth. And even Pilate said, I, I don't find any fault with him. He's innocent, in my opinion. But Pilate struggled. Who is this dude? How do I make sense of this man who is filled with so much compassion and so much wisdom? Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. Jesus knew God. He was God, and he represented God like no one else. He was not a wealthy man. Matter of fact, Jesus chose to live a homeless life. When you study it, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air. They have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus chose to live a life of humility, a life of poverty, a life of brokenness, a life of compassion. That was the life of Jesus. He worked miracles. He spoke in these brilliant parables. He had these clever sayings. He came to set people free. That was his entire ministry. He made radical claims about even who he was. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But yet he had these religious enemies. They absolutely despised him. Jesus was humble. Jesus loved people. He was not religious. Listen to me. You've got two guys. Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? The name Barabbas, Bar, means son of. Abbas means our father. Do you want the son of our fathers or do you want Jesus, the son of the father? Who do you want? And that was the question that day. Do you want a guy who is representing in Barabbas, an earthly kingdom? Or do you want Jesus who is representing an eternal kingdom? Do you want temporary power? Or do you want eternal peace? That is what was going down some 2,000 years ago in Israel. Who do you want? And the crowd said, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And the interesting thing, Ronnie, as we look around us today, it still appears that humanity's choice is Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want a person who is going to give us the good life now. Jesus says, I want you to have the God life. We want a person who promises us all of the comfort and the conveniences and materialism and everything that we can stockpile for now. That appears to be humanity's choice. It seems to me that man is still crying out, we want Barabbas. And Jesus says, but, but I can give you heaven's hope, I can give you forgiveness, and I can offer you salvation, and I can bring peace into your life. But it seems that we still live in a day where people are starving for earthly prosperity. And the truth be known, if I had been around at that time, my fear is if I had never walked with Jesus, if I had never hung out with Jesus, I probably would have been a voice in the crowd saying, hey, I want the best life now. I want Barabbas. And the religious leaders of that day were blinded to really who Jesus was. 
They were so caught up into religion. Nick, religion is nothing more than a return to bondage. And they were living a lifestyle of bondage, even in their religious practices. And they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. You go back and look at the life of Barabbas. He was fighting for an earthly kingdom. He was a patriot. He was a rebel. And he believed deep in his heart that what he was doing was protecting Israel. And the madness that we've seen over the last year, so many people are fighting, wanting Barabbas. And it really doesn't even matter which political party they align with. You will still see people preferring comfort materialism, free checks coming in the mail, temporary power, temporary pleasure, earthly comfort. And it seems for so many, they prefer political allegiance more than allegiance to God. Brian, that's what we're dealing with here, brother. And the crowd that Friday, some 2,000 years ago, they were totally fixated and focused on an earthly kingdom. And they were blind to the fact that God was on trial. God was on trial. When Jesus came, he claimed that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm representing the kingdom of God. And he was on a mission to represent the heart of the Father. Jesus' name means God is our salvation. Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed one, God is our salvation. I'm coming to bring salvation and hope and deliverance. That was the mission that Jesus was on. He was God in flesh, and he was offering abundant eternal life and eternal hope. Jesus made such radical claims that really, that contradicted the heart of an earthly kingdom. Jesus made statements like, do you not realize it's better to give than it is to receive? He said, do you not realize it's better to love than it is to take revenge? Do do you not realize That the kingdom of God and the kingdom that I'm representing turns the other cheek? Do you not realize that the kingdom that I'm representing loves your enemy, prays for those that violate you, doesn't seek retaliation? Do Do you realize that the kingdom of God is about feeding those who are hungry and loving those who have been knocked down or loving those who have become misguided in life. And the entire mission of Jesus was to usher in a new kingdom, Rick, where we love our neighbor and we care about the things of God. And as I've been pondering this and working through this over the last weeks, I've had to ask myself, what kingdom, Tim, do you live for? What kingdom do you represent? What kingdom do you bring to people? Are you about the kingdom of just the earthly? Because we're living in a culture now, even with proclamators, et cetera, that have airtime on TV, and they want to talk about health, wealth, and prosperity. But that is a contradiction to the kingdom that Jesus represented. And I encourage you to consider that. And I can tell you, believing in Jesus And becoming like Jesus is not an easy choice. And it is very, very difficult 
for those in high places of leadership to submit to him. It is so hard. And Jesus even said, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of that needle than it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom. Go back to Pilate. Pilate, you've got to make a choice here. And Pilate's problem was this. Pilate knew about Jesus. He just didn't know Jesus. He, he knew some of the things that Jesus had done. He was aware of some of the miracles. I guarantee you, in the culture of that day, the word circulated. No, they were not texting or on social media, but the word was getting out that this Jewish carpenter over here, man, he's doing some crazy things like raising people from the dead and turning water to wine, and he's spitting on dirt, and people are seeing, man, this dude has got a trippy gig. I, I, we, he's crazy, man, but he's yet... He's loving and he's tender and he's compassionate. He knew about him, but he didn't know him. And that's where so many people are today. So many people that we encounter know about Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't have that intimate, personal relationship with him. They've been around church. They have this vague understanding, but they don't, they don't know him. They've listened to a few sermons, listened to even a few Christian songs, but they still, they, they, they don't know him. And I can tell you knowing about him is not enough. Knowing about him will lead you to hell. And there's so many people that know about him, but they don't know him. I know about Delta Airlines, and I know that I've flown on quite a few Delta planes over the years. And I can even tell you a few of the features on a 747. But you don't want me in the cockpit because I don't know. Now, Nick's dad, who is a retired Delta pilot, different story. But it's so easy to think, hey, hey, I've gone to church and I've checked a few boxes here and there, but I, 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 don't, I don't know him. Pilate knew about him. But the pressure of the religious leaders of that day, he had to make a fast decision. And so many people caving into peer pressure have made some just reckless bad choices. And so many people caving into fear pressure have some regrets, man, that they can never undo. Pilate lacked courage. He knew about him, but he didn't have the conviction. And he caved in, and he looked at the mob and said, y'all get me off the hook. Who, 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 who do you want set free? And the, and the question as I was pondering this is, do, do you have the, the courage to align your life with what is true? Do you have the courage to totally submit and surrender to the lordship and leadership of Jesus in your life? Do you have the courage to take the truth to your world? Do you have the courage to stand on the truth every day? Pilate, the truth was right in front of you. And you looked at him, and you asked the question, what is truth? 
Barabbas, he was known for taking the lives of others. Jesus was known for giving his life for others. Crucify him, but let that mad rebel walk. I want you to think about this, and I think it's healthy for us to revisit this often. But think about and walk with me over those last hours of Jesus' earthly life. You, you recall even the night before he would die a criminal's death? You remember when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and he begged them to pray alongside with him? Matthew 26, 36 through 46, the scripture says, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed and he says, my God and my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And the scripture says, being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat, it became like drops of blood dripping off of his face, falling to the ground. Jesus, fervently, agonizing, knowing what's before him, he's on his face, and he's like, Father, is there another way? then give me the courage to face the torture that is before me. I know I have come into this world to glorify you and to bring salvation and redemption and hope and offer away from mankind. The scripture says that after Jesus had prayed and was dropping blood out of his pores, it says in John 19, that Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him, scourged him. We read past that pretty quickly, right? 39 lashes. And then it says that after he scourged him, he set him on the judgment seat at a place called Stony Pavement, which in Hebrew is the word Gabbatha. So Jesus is led to Gabbatha, and there he is tied around a whipping post. And it's good to remember what took place as we ponder Easter, Resurrection Sunday, as we ponder Passover, if you will. Jesus was tied to a whipping post, and there were two soldiers, one on each side. These whips, six, seven foot long, with glass and steel and metal and all kinds of shrapnel woven in. And as Jesus was there, buttocks laid open, his body was just bare, and these guys would take turns of just popping him and yanking back on him. Can you imagine that? The scripture, when you, when you look, says they just scourged him. It was 39 lashes. And when you study the crucifixion, the Roman crucifixion, this was a pre preliminary before the person would actually be nailed to the cross. And it's an absolute... Uh, we, we use the word excrucius, which means out of the cross, but this was excruciating pain. And what would happen is the lacerations 
that would be caused by these whips, by this metal, by this steel, by this shrapnel. It would tear through the muscles, producing this ribbon of flesh as blood was poured from him. There were many, when you start to study even the execution here of even the scourging, many died during this time. But they take him to this place after totally annihilating his body and they sit him on this seat and they begin to laugh at him and jeer him and mock him and ridicule him. We're talking about the truth. We're talking about the most righteous person, most innocent person that has ever walked the planet. The one who could have called for a legion of angels to come and rescue him and deliver him. He, he willfully took it. He's led from Gabbatha to a place called the garrison room. And when you get to the garrison room, you can read this in Matthew 27, Mark chapter 15, capture this. But this is where they mock him and ridicule him and jeer him and began to beat him in the face. And that's where they take that crown, two to four inch crown of thorns, and they thrust it and they beat him over the head and they're spitting on him and they're mocking him. They're mocking God. This is what took place. As we tap the brakes and just go, what did it cost to redeem me? What was the payment for the Lamb of God to rescue me from a hellhole, from the domain of darkness and to set me free, to usher me into the kingdom of light? This is what he went through. So he's gone from Gethsemane. He's gone to Gabbatha, the place of stony pavement. And now he's there in the garrison room and they're, mocking him and jeering him and spitting on him and cursing him. And now he's about to be led to Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. And they would make the criminal, if you will, carry his own cross. Many believe that he was so fatigued, that he was so exhausted. But Jesus is walking to the He's walking to Mount Calvary. He's walking the Via Della Rosa. And, he, and he's pretty much hanging on by a thread. Study, study, the, study this, please. But the crowd goes, we want earthly pleasure. Jesus goes, man, my kingdom is not here. I'm coming to bring something so much more. I'm coming to bring the heart of heaven. I'm coming to offer hope and salvation once and for all. And Nick, he's nailed to the cross, brother. They're taking the spikes and they sever his wrist and his feet, and now his bloody is all, his body's all bloody and torn, and the spear thrusts through him, and water and blood comes out of him, and Jesus makes those seven final statements from the cross. Take care of my mom. I mean, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He screams, tetelestai, it is paid in full, and then he yells, it is finished. He bows his head, and he gives up the Spirit. I want you to think about that. The trial went down. It was a corrupt trial. It was a mad trial. But the thing that blows my mind probably as much as anything is I study that horrific weekend some 2,000 years ago. Those six hours, one Friday of when this brutality took place on the cross to where he was raised on that glorious first Sunday morning, if you will. The thing that blows my mind is it was the Father's predetermined plan 
to nail his son to the cross. Sin had to be atoned for. Sin had to be dealt with. And the scripture says that it was the father's predetermined plan to allow his son to be brutally tortured. When all of the sin of humanity fell on him, that's when he cries out. And the father turns his back and says, Jesus says, why why have you forsaken me now? God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God, being rich in mercy and love, gave his one and only son. Here's what we know. If you're watching online, we're glad. This is, this is hard, but it's, we, we've got to lay out what we're celebrating, what we're pondering, and what we remember this weekend. Here's what we know. Jesus Christ was not the world's choice. But the question we have to ask is, will he be my choice? Will I choose to forsake the earthly? Will I choose to turn my back on just the, the earthly pleasures of materialism and all? Do I really want Jesus more than anything? Do I really want to serve him more than anything? So the Easter message is Jesus was crucified. He died a criminal's death. He carried the sin of the world, Nick, on the cross. His blood was shed to cleanse us once and for all. And again, you go back, and I'm sure the demons in hell were throwing a rock star party going, we got him, we killed him. But the good news is that glorious sunrise, when the women showed up at the tomb, the angel said, he's not here. He is risen just as he said he would. And the glorious hope of the gospel is that our God and our King and our Savior and our Lord and our Master and our authority has defeated death, hell, and the grave. What gives us hope, what gives us joy to be able to push on is that the tomb is empty. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He lives to make intercession for the saint. And Julie Blair, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The glorious hope we have is those who have passed away will be ushered in to the glorious presence of the Lord. Hope is available to each and every one of us. You're not going to find a lot of hope in this world. You'll find some temporary satisfaction but if you're really longing for hope and peace and joy, and if you're longing for your soul to really find restoration and healing, you will find it, I can promise you, only in the person of Christ. Let's pray, and let's continue to worship. Father, thank you that you love each and every one of us. Thank you that your son Jesus willfully came, lived a sinless, perfect, righteous life, Lord, thank you that he died a criminal's death. He was raised on the third day as we celebrate the hope of Easter. And he offers hope to each and every one of us. Lord, thank you that the resurrection declares that death does not have the final voice. Thank you that the resurrection declares that death has been defeated once and for all. 
Lord, I pray that every person under my voice, whether they're watching online, Father, whether they're in this room, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that each and every one of us would say with conviction in our heart, Lord, I want Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus, you're my choice. I want to be your son. I want to be a a student of you. I want to be your follower. I want to be your servant. Lord, I pray that we would renounce and denounce any Barabbas affiliation. Lord, anything that resembles just allegiance to the earthly, I pray that we would denounce that in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that you would free our hearts to really just walk with you. If you've never surrendered, never submitted your life to Christ, just, just tell him right now, God, I desperately want a relationship with you. I ask Jesus to take over my life right now. God, I repent of my sin. I confess, Jesus, you are Lord and you are my Lord. Lord, lead me for your glory, and I pray. And I would say this to you in closing. We're going to have people up front that would love to pray with you even now. But if you're watching online and you go, I prayed and I have asked Christ to take over my life. Do me a favor. There's going to be a link on the screen that says info at thecrossloganville.org. You can email us there and say, I am surrendering to Christ. Or maybe you would say, I'm not there, but I've got some questions. I'd like to talk to someone. If you'll connect with us right there, info at thecrossloganville.org, we will follow up with you. We want to help you. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.